welcome to Talk Jala, a podcast series by Weirdkaya. I'm your host, Sarah, and today we have um, a special guest with us today. Um, her name is Bernice, so I will just allow her to, um, you know, just briefly introduce herself to all of our listeners. So, Bernice, the floor is yours. Hi, thank you, Sarah. So, I'm Bernice. Um, I'm working as a, I'm currently a practitioner, mental health registered mental health practitioner with their safe harbor and I'm licensed under the Malaysian Board of Counselors and so I have a degree in psychology and communications and then I did my master's in USM and yeah so that is a little bit about me Okay, so actually I just wanted to ask, how long have you been in this line? Like, uh, how long have you been like, counselling people, uh, people who have struggled with mental health issues? About, I think, in average or close to 10 years now. Close wow, to 10, 10 years, that's pretty long. Yeah. So I mean, how has it been so far? Is it challenging or are you still able to hold up? Because um, from what I understand... Counseling people with a lot of like personal issues, mental health issues, it can take quite a toll on your own personal mental health as well. Right, this is a very good question. Um, I think one of the things, I must say that I am still very passionate about the field. So I'm very blessed in that sense. I've always loved the work I do. Um, Mental health has always been a passion of mine, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's very fulfilling, right? I, I must say that I do get energized in sessions, and it is something that I value. I see the significance of what I do. So I and I do think that it's not to say that it's always been smooth sailing, etc. There are moments of burnout, right? As in every any field that we are in. So I think the general practice that I do is it's a good thing to kind of watch out for burnout, um, to still be taking good care of ourselves. For example, one of the things that I make sure of is that I do have, I do sleep very early and I make sure that I'm constantly inspired, um, whether it is learning something new every single day. So they are and ha- having good social support that is very, very important. Um, yep. So these are ways to kind of look after yourself to, I always say this, to ensure that we last um, long in this field. Yeah. Mm, okay, that's very inspiring. Um, I think it's not every day you hear people say that they're actually inspired. Um, having spent, you know, 10 years in this line where um, you actually have to um, lend an ear to um, several to a lot of individuals in hearing out their problems and helping them to move um, forward with their lives as well. So today we're actually going to talk about mental health. So um, I think for the past two years, ever since the pandemic began, mental health has actually come out into the into the fray even uh, even more prominently because uh, throughout these two years of, of the pandemic, a lot of people have been at their wits end. Lots of people have lost their jobs. And unfortunately, we have also seen, um, you know, quite a number of people ending their lives prematurely because they cannot handle the stress and the pain that comes with 
um, of losing their jobs and worrying about whether they'll be able to survive the next day or not. Mm. And even when we come out from this um, pandemic, sort of, we are now in the epidemic stage, um, there was actually a report that said that um, Befrienders KL actually reported even more calls, distress calls from from anonymous Malaysians like mm. pouring their mm. hearts out and asking for help. So with all of these things now spilling out into the open, uh, what do you think are the main triggering factors of mental health issues um, in general? I, I, I think there are two parts to your questions. Uh, to your question, sorry. Number one, I think we need to address the fact that this is on a personal level. I did notice personally for myself when things started opening up and that when we transitioned from the pandemic to the endemic, I did on a personal level think thought that things would be uh, changing for the better, etc. You know, but I did, I feel that personally we need to take note still continuously and diligently take note of how we're feeling. Like, for example, I think it's important to check in with ourselves even more so because um, I think we need to factor in our expectations of ourselves. It has been an increasingly trying year and years, you know, as in like we are expected to transition like like a switch, but mm-hmm. that's not the case so we need to be very compassionate and kind to ourselves and to, to just because just because externally things have changed or, or are changing, that doesn't mean we need to be on board immediately or we need to um, be able to just flip a switch and go along with the change. I do think that we need to constantly still check in with ourselves. How am I doing with regards to this, etc.? You know, mm-hmm. I do, and I, I think for me personally, it was very shocking when we started to go back to, uh, I think, more physical interactions in terms of dealing, we, we need to understand that it's not, that's why we call it a new normal. We often forget that it's new, right? We're not yep. going back to our pre-pandemic phase. It's not going to happen. It's, you know, and, and I think that you will notice um, changes changes in our even as now we return to the new normal as in traffic is a lot worse off um, and because we are adjusting see that's the keyword transitioning when you're transitioning to something you need to give yourself space it's a process right and and you know traffic is a lot worse off than before number two we, we feel exhausted and tired Right, because we, we need to give ourselves time to adjust to the being around people physically, having more physical interactions. And that is uh, one part of it is good, but also it can be sometimes exhausting, right? Having to deal with you again, you factor in traffic and etc. etc. with the rising cost of things. Um, these are all things that we need to adjust to. So I think sometimes it's important to be very clear with yourself on um the reality so i would say number one step number one name the reality number two name your interpretation of the reality for example how you're feeling towards it what are your thoughts etc and then adjust accordingly and then number three access your resources and your net your tools and skill sets to kind of accommodate that right so then i think to answer the question number two what are some of the main triggering factors of mental health issues 
overarching, whenever we look at mental health, we need to understand that we understand this from the model or the bio, we call it the biopsychosocial model. So biology, we understand that sometimes um, genetic predisposition, we are more prone to stress, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's our physical health, um, disabilities, um, then I mentioned just now genetic predisposition, you know, the way our our hormonal responses, neurochemistry, our immune responses. So all these are fall under the biology, right, of the makeup of a person. And then we also have um, social and environmental factors. Do we have social support? How much social support do we have? Cultural traditions, you know, um, education, our education level, poverty, our access to resources, finances, etc. Um, family circumstances, right? Peer relationships, all these are fall under the social and environmental factors. And then we also have um, psycho- psychological, sorry, so our belief system, right? Our behaviors, our personalities, self-esteem, coping skills, emotions, social skills. And all these in, obviously, there is um, your your family relationship, your life events, right? Um, has there been major, major change, changes, etc.? All these play, come into effect. Multiple factors come into effect in affecting um, mental health for a person. Hmm, okay. But, okay, so based on what you described, like the mm-hmm. psychological, the physical factors... Is it accurate to say that those who have a not so good standard of living have an underlying um, health problems or have poor social connections, is it safe to say that they are at a higher risk of encountering mental health issues? Yes, yes, that, um, that is correct. Um, I think you nailed it, higher risk. Yeah, it puts you at a place of uh, your yeah high risk of um, encountering mental health issues. Mm, okay, all right. So now that we have tackled the the triggering factors as mm-hmm. to why some people um, face mental health issues, mm-hmm. we're now going to move on to the more what's it called the more social um, aspect of mental health. Right. So right here in Malaysia, mental health is something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. Because the one thing, you know, whenever somebody says, hey, um, I think I'm feeling suicidal. Hey, I think um, I need to see a therapist. Right. The first impression that people have is, you're crazy, mm. you're nuts, and probably you need to check in to Tanjong Rambutan. So these are all the very stereotypical responses that um, Malaysians with struggling with mental health often face. Mm. And I've noticed, I, I mean, I've read that it's not just limited to Malaysia alone, this um, this mindset is quite prevalent in most Asian communities. Right. Because for some reason, I mean, this is based on my own understanding, is that mental health is often seen as a sign of weakness. It's a sign that you are not resilient, you are weak, and therefore you're a person who cannot take hardships. That means you are, you are very coddled in life in a sense where, you know, when things start to collapse, um you are done for. Mm. So why do you, as a, as a counsellor for 10 years, why do you think people are often afraid to talk about mental health issues? Right. 
wow, there's so many things to address here based on what you said. But often, I think, number one, we need to point out that we must be very clear and know how to draw distinctions between um, don't want to and don't know how are two very different things. You know, and I do think that to a certain extent, we as people were wired to not want to address things that we don't know how to, you know, we, we have a fear of it. So I think it's important. So I always say this, when we break it down to that, if we don't know how to address something, then we give ourselves the leeway to learn about it, mm-hmm. to give ourselves the awareness, right? So, so that is something that is very, very important um, to, to seek out that understanding ourselves and um so i want to point this out you know this is very very important so i think you mentioned this just now so we need to understand that people who go for therapy and counseling they are not crazy neither do they have huge issues okay i always say this it's, it's quite strange to me when people um think that seeking help is out of the ordinary in fact the opposite is true seeking help is should be sorry should be in the ordinary because issues, and unless we live in an alternate universe, which we don't, um, suffering, pain is inevitable, right? When we have issues, obviously we seek solutions to address them, right? So counseling and therapy is part of seeking um, solutions and addressing issues. So I want to say that people who go for counseling or therapy, they're not crazy. In fact, they're the most intelligent, introspective human beings, you know, who acknowledge that therapy and counseling is a method, one of the methods available to improve as to, and to grow as a person. If you are invested in your self-growth, um, it is very, you will consider that very much as an option available, right? Um, and, so, and so, like, it's, it, I think that to a certain extent, we need to normalize it as an effect that it is as normal is if you you want to be healthy as a person, you would exercise. Nobody's gonna nobody's going to be upset at you for or judging you for the, your need to exercise. In fact, everybody should exercise. You know, yep. so therapy and counseling should be as normal as exercising, if that makes sense, because you want to be a better version of yourself for the sake of the people you love, and of course because you love yourself as well, right? So I I would say then then therefore the challenge to ourselves is to um, educate ourselves, expose yourself in a situation whereby you're aware of what um, therapy is, counseling is, what do people do in therapy, what do people um, talk about, etc. You know, um, so I do think it's a good idea to educate yourself because how do you how do you talk about something if you don't know what it is? right and how it functions mm-hmm. and works so i do think it's i think the general step here practical step is just to educate yourself on how what counseling is what therapy is what do people do there what do people talk about you know and and yeah and so i think that normalizing it by educating yourself on what it is is the first step mm, okay so speaking about therapy is it right. generally expensive to go for therapy because a lot of people whenever you tell them to see a psychiatrist or psychologist mm. their first reason would be that oh it's too expensive oh it's going to be a long-term treatment plan i can't afford it but mm. is this claim true in most cases or is it like for selected um like selected um, therapy psychologists maybe because due to their uh, what's it called their reputation or the hospitals that they are attached to 
I am so glad you brought this up. Um, I think one very common misconception we have is that therapy is expensive uh, or that, you know, it is only for those um, who are rich. Sorry, before that, I just remembered the second point I want to make. Sorry, if we can go back to about just now. I want to sure. say this. A lot of people misunderstand what resilience is. Actually, resilience is not biology, you know. Resilience is actually a muscle that you can grow. Um, and as you learn, as, as you continue to work that muscle, it can grow alongside you. So I do think that um, it's not to, to say that somebody is seeking, needing to seek help or wanting to seek help because they're not resilient is actually um, a misconception that we have. Actually, how do you develop resilience is, of course, by seeking help, right? So mm-hmm. obviously, if you want to grow muscles, you obviously exercise, etc. And and to tell people that you know what, okay, uh, don't exercise. You know, mm-hmm. you know, don't yeah. exercise, and you would develop muscles. That that doesn't make any sense. So right, so understand that resilience is not biology. It is something that you can grow as you learn, right? And as you expose yourself, and therapy is one of the ways to grow resilience. Sorry, back to that question. Yes, it is a misconception that therapy is expensive. It is not. There are many, many resources that are available, places that actually provide therapy at a discounted rate who actually don't profit from it, right? Or And also, there are also places that charge very, very minimal, uh, very, very minimal affordable fees. Of course, it varies from center to center, but there are, I can name you a few places. Obviously, the context here is Penang, right? But I look up resources around in your state. Um, but one thing I will say is that right now, we have online options, right? So you don't have to be physically in the same state or place mm-hmm. for you to have access to therapy. You can always ask for online counseling, etc. And you still, yeah, still have... Even though you're not physically in that vicinity, you still have access to that help. So obviously in Penang, in the context of Penang, there is Be Home, there's Good Shepherd, there's Safe Harbor, Agape, etc. All these are NGOs and they they give you access to inexpensive therapy, right? So these are options that you have. So um, of course you're in KL, then KL also has an Agape there, right? So you can have access to um, all these resources. So yes, there it is a misconception to think that seeking help need not be expensive. I always say this is accessible and it's available to all, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that answers your question. Yep, it definitely does. I think this would also be a huge relief to those who know that they need help, but they mm. are unsure of whether they are actually financially capable of doing so because, um, because money is always one thing that tends to hold people back. Yeah. But then, uh, I think with online resources and all these NGOs in uh, existence, um, that should help them or at least convince them that um, they they don't necessarily have to spend a fortune in order yes. to get their you know their mental state back on the right track because that's what's most important in life, right? So yeah, so now we we just spoke about the individual level. Now we're going to move it up even more. That is the governmental level. So, not sure whether you know this. I, mean, I think you probably do. Uh, Malaysia is one of the very few countries that actually uh, criminalizes suicide. 
So um, I think last year, was it last year? I think, yeah, it was last year in June. There was a very um, huge case where a man actually attempted suicide. He failed. And he was actually arrested and then fined and also thrown into jail for a few days. Um, it was actually supposed to be much longer, but because of a public outcry, they decided to um, cut his term short. But this has also opened um, the government to lots of criticism that instead of helping those with mental health issues, mm. they are actually pushing them further by punishing them and instead of extending um, assistance to them. So I think recently, the government, government did announce plans that they plan to decriminalize um, suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective as a counsellor, do you think this is enough to address the issue or should more be done? I, I do think this question is often, in a way, it's like a rabbit hole, right? I would say, to a certain extent, um, it's, it's very hard for all of us to find the balance between um, knowing that what we're doing is significant and, and, and also then knowing that we hold the responsibility, responsibility of needing to do more. I, I always say that we can always do more and, and I do think that uh, that is significant in itself, uh, decriminalizing suicide, right? Um, and, and I do think that the follow-up here is this. Step number one, after we decriminalize suicide, number two, we need to, I always say this, there are needs, it cannot stop there. Number two, we need to open up avenues of talking and creating awareness mm-hmm. of what mental health actually is. So that's on the that's on a government state level, in in terms of like then you know later on much um, we can always look into um, making much more friendly policies for seeking help you know and and on a government state level paying much more attention to it um, so that people understand that it's very normal you can always have access to to mental health resources. Um, on, on a government level, you know. And I do think that in terms of like, and, and, and I think we're very blessed in Penang State Government, there's a lot of efforts to have regular talks and events on cultivating family togetherness, family policies, etc. Mm-hmm. you know. So that the state government is paying attention to mental health um, as in that it understands and values that is a very important aspect of life. Um, I do think that this is something that we are making strides in, in terms of like there is change happening and so and so I think that there's encouraging and hopeful, you know. And and I do th- and so that's the first part of the question. I think the second part is that there can always be more done to move together as a whole to better society. Yeah. Mm, okay. So um I was just wondering, so in South Korea, mm-hmm. um, they actually have this tactic where they will put positive um, oriented, orientated messages on this certain bridge because due to the high suicide rates that people yes. um, commit mm-hmm. suicide there. Do you think this kind of methods would work in Malaysia? Like putting these kind of messages at, you know, hot spots for suicide? Yes. I do think the general idea is not just the messages, although obviously kudos to South Korea, you know. I do think the idea behind it is amazing as we're addressing it as a whole, right? I I do think that's the key point. 
addressing something and not avoiding that it is existing is always a better idea than to just um, ignore the fact that it is a prevalent issue, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say that recently there has been talks of like for the Penang state as well to also put safety nets around our Penang breach. And I know in San Francisco, there are officers are trained to patrol um, train officers, they patrol the the San Francisco Bridge, Golden Gate Bridge, right? And and they are trained to talk to people, to and that makes a huge difference. If you go online and read, there are a lot of reports and statistics that show that yes, uh, you know, um, it is significant what they do. So I yes, actually the two things that the Penang State has been in talks to do is number one to to put to um safety net, sorry safety nets and number two to train um, officers to patrol the area so that people actually these people know that in their moment of distress you're not alone you know and and mm-hmm. i think that these these all these things are great things and a step in the right direction yeah mm, okay um, now that we have spoken about the government initiatives to um, address this issue be at the state or federal level um, I would like to talk more about the the practical ways in which one can actually um, help when it comes to mental health because obviously mental health is a very it's a very tricky topic. Mm. It's not something that um, anyone can take in. Like for some, you know, when you when you like for example, if someone to confide in your uh, to their friend saying that um, I actually have suicidal thoughts, um, I don't know what to do. And sometimes they, the friend may become a little bit overwhelmed and it's like it's like a little bit of a culture shock. It's like, whoa, like, where is this coming from? Mm. And sometimes it will leave them a little bit helpless and they don't know what to do about it. So what are some of the ways that uh, listeners or friends or people who are struggling with uh, mental health issues can help um, when it comes to these kind of struggles? I think I would say, number one, you need to understand uh, the general rule of conduct here is that to be kind, right? Not just um, to other people, but of course to ourselves. Um, so I think that's that's the overarching thing we all need to know. Number one, be kind. And and number two, um, and it's important as caregivers or friends to understand, um, journey alongside them. But one thing you need to do is to understand your limitations. Um mm-hmm as a person as well and as, and as a caregiver generally, right? Sometimes it's okay to read up as much as you can, be aware of certain um, how to help, etc. But also there, there, there come a point in time where you can, it's okay to say to your friend, is there any way whereby I can go along with you and, you know, we can seek help together. And I think these uh, this starting point is a very much compassionate response to the fact is normalizing seeking help. Um, that that is something that it can be very very helpful to to people. Um, and and it's something that you can kind of like do. And number two, understand that um, you need to as a caregiver. And as a friend, you need to work together as a team. All of us, all of us, even as practitioners, we work together as a team. We don't, we're not solo birds, you know. Um, we have access to 
we go for therapy ourselves. So that's a team. We have peer counselors joining alongside us. Mm. We have what we call, we're like, you know, we are, um, we're licensed by a board. So obviously a board, they are members of the board. So you would journey alongside with members of the board as well. Right. So these are on a professional level. These are the resources and the team that we have. Right. So what more, even as in terms of friendship as well, understand that you need a team as well. When you want to offer some help to somebody, there needs to be a team to help you, help you function as well on the, as a friend and to be a better friend. And yes, so these are, I think, a few pointers that I have to, um, to give you and to the listeners as well. Mm, okay. And one more last question I just wanted to ask. Uh, mm-hmm. What would be, like, how, what, how would we, what should we say, like, for example, if we ourselves or we know of someone who has recently lost somebody to suicide, Mm. Like, how should this actually be talked about? Because obviously, uh, we want that person to grieve, but right. also at the same time, we don't want that person to be wallowed up in their sorrow for too long a time. So, one like for example, if someone to ask, like, I want to comfort this person who recently lost a loved one to suicide. Mm. What should I tell he or she? Okay, I I would say this again. Number one, always always understand this. Be kind and be compassionate. Number two, a lot of people miss, miss have a misconception that there is no timeline or expiry date for grief, you know, because it's, um, that's one thing. And then for what we say, complex grief in terms of like when death by suicide has occurred, we need to understand that it's complex by nature. There's so many levels that we don't have answers to, etc. You know, your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. Um, and you need to take time to process that, right? So I would say, number one, lift off that, that burden of a timeline. Oh, I need to be okay by X amount of time. You know, that, that, is, not, uh, that is not healthy. And number two, you must always remember this. Assure, assure yourself as a person, as a friend, as a family member, as a supporter, you have done enough. In, in terms of like, the, your, the person who is gone now knows that you love them well and, and, and that, that the reason why they decided to um, choose death by suicide is not to any fault of yours or it's not because you've, you know, done insufficiently. You know, we, we need to understand that the pain for them was too great to, to endure and so it's not a personal slight against you or that you, you know, they didn't love them. You didn't love them well enough, etc. You know, they know that, that you love them, that they have access to your time, etc. And to your love. And so that is something that you can, you can rest, be rest assured in. And, and then I would say this, take time off to always Remember them in a way that they want you to remember them in a way that is very, that um, well, they were alive, you know, they, there were good memories, there were good times together, mm-hmm. there was a laughter, there was peace, etc. Remember those moments because it is something to carry you through the, the painful times 
you know, that is a, that is ahead. And then I would say overarching, obviously, there are many, many ways to let yourself grieve, etc. Um, but I would say that it would be helpful, of course, to go for therapy yourself to process, to process the memories of that person, to validate that their life is significant and meaningful, you know, um, and, and that their lives matter. And, and, and to process the things in which you don't understand, not that the therapy can give you answers to the questions that you have, but it is a safe place for you to um, talk about things in, um, in a way that, con- that their, the other party will convey understanding and compassion to you. Yeah. So I think these are just the general, general thoughts um, that can be helpful. Okay, I see. Uh, thank you so much for your thoughts, Bernice. I know this has been a very heavy conversation and I think, um, I don't know, maybe some listeners may feel a little bit moved by this, but I'm actually kind of glad that we actually have this conversation because I personally feel that mental health needs to be talked about more often. Mm. I think um, it's been far too long that it has been swept under the rug and and again, uh, going back to what you say, it needs to be normalized. Uh, because mm. we are all humans. Emotions is a very huge part of our psyche. And to ignore our emotions is to is basically asking us to discard a huge part of ourselves. So yeah, thank you, Bernice, for spending the time to, to talk about this. Most welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so we have come to the end of today's program. So thank you very much again to Bernice for joining today's episode. So if you like today's episode, you can give it a listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you want more news from Weirdkaya, you can follow us on our social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, Twitter and many more. So take care and I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.